Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Tom Green Interview. Today on the show, Brian Regan. Wow, how cool is that? The legend, the incredible, the amazing stand-up comedian, Brian Regan, uh, will be calling in to the van. I'm here in Utah at the top of a mountain, as usual. Uh, I drive until I find a place where I've got perfect cell service. Usually there's a little ridge, and uh, I'm on a little ridge just down a... Uh, I don't know, a few thousand meters down the mountain from Porcupine Rim in Moab. And uh, I've opened up the phone lines uh, to see if uh, uh, some people would like to call. I just put it out on Instagram. The phone is ringing. Let's take a couple calls before we talk to Brian. Brian's going to be calling in soon. Uh, But let's take a couple of calls from the public. Uh, And if you follow me on my Instagram... uh, or, or Twitter or Facebook, every once in a while I'll just post the phone number that you can call me at and um, you call and uh, you can be here on the Tom Green interview. Here's a call right now. Let's see how it goes. Hello, you're on the air. Uh, hello? Hello, hello. Hey, wow, it's working. Unbelievable. It's, uh, I think this might be, this actually is the first time I've taken a phone call from the general public uh, in the van. It's exciting. I'm I'm oh. I'm I'm on a mountain top wow, right so now. I'm so honored. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm here in uh, Bellingham, Washington State. Bellingham, Washington State. Okay, a long way from me. I'm uh, actually kicking around Utah right now. Uh, but I'm going to be heading Beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to be heading in uh, some different directions. I'm not sure where I'm going next, but what's going on in Washington? How are you feeling today? Uh, I'm feeling really good. Um, just getting ready to uh, hopefully end this election. I'm waiting to go to work. Are you going to end the, the election personally, I've got the bag or for the eels? Are you going to end? What, what's that? I've got the bag for the eels, and I'm ready to end the election. Oh, okay, good. You got the bag for the eels, and you're actually mm-hmm. personally going to end the election. That's amazing. How are you going to do that? Well, I'm calling it now. I've got the bag. I'm on my way. Yeah. It looks like it's about to be called. So I'm just, you know, patiently waiting. Is the beaver is the beaver yelling at the other beaver saying, "You're a stupid beaver? You're a stupid beaver?" No, but I heard it might be a suede beaver, not a stupid beaver, but a suede beaver. A suede beaver. Okay, a suede beaver. <laughs> We're of course doing lines from Freddie Got Fingered, right? Uh well, of course, yes. Yeah. Old classic. Although what's the suede part? I don't remember that. That wasn't in Freddie Got Fingered. No, it wasn't. That's just, you know, me being me. Oh, you just like the word suede? Yes, especially in regards to beavers. I love the word suede. Suede. Yeah, you know, it just invokes a nice, smooth, soft, warm feeling inside, you know? The nice softness of suede. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. warm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for calling. I'm going to try to get as many people on the air as I can, but I appreciate you calling, man. 
Thanks, Tom. Stay safe on the road. Thanks for everything you're doing, and uh, just keep on keeping on. All right. Peace. Wade Beaver. Thanks, man. Wade Beaver. Okay. Bye. Wade Beaver. Hello, you're on the air. Tom Green. Yes, hello, you're on the air. I'm on a mountaintop in Utah. Where are you? I'm in Montreal. Oh, nice. That's nice. I love Montreal. I can't wait to get back to Montreal. That's awesome up here, man. 17 degrees. Well, Celsius, beautiful. Utah's my favorite state in the world, though. So you're getting some pretty good weather up there right now. Hell yeah, man. That's nice. going golfing. That's nice to get a nice surprise like that uh, in November in Canada. Well, they, a Native American summer, they call it, eh? Yeah, that's very good. So so you're going to go golfing in November in Montreal. Hell yeah, man. We've got two days left before a bunch of snow comes. That's, that's very cool. Now, what's Montreal like these days? To say something about the city that you live in to encourage uh, people around the world to come visit Montreal. Uh, multi, multicultural. We have a beautiful downtown core. Old Montreal is a, is a staple, I guess, since the 1400s, even, even before. So um, just restaurants, bars, if they ever open again. Uh, the people are actually fantastic, and it's nice to speak two languages. Bonjour. Oui, bonjour. Tu parles français? Ben oui. Oui, je suis uh, un Québécois aussi. Ben oui, on a. Je suis un Québécois. Ben oui. Pour vrai, oui. Mon parent restait en Québec. Uh, oui, uh, so je suis un Québécois et uh, c'est uh, parfait. I just want to say, I've been following your van journey and that's my, uh, my dream. If the borders were open, I'd be uh, tailing you. So it's fun to see you uh, kind of enjoying life, peace, serenity, and uh, it's good to see you back, uh, back, back at it, Tom. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. I'm going to take another call. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Montreal. I love it. Lo- love it. I love hearing Thank from Montreal. Day. Okay, merci beaucoup. Shane from Montreal. Okay, au revoir. Bye. All right, this is cool. So we're taking calls in the van. I'm on a mountaintop in Utah. It's actually working. Hello, uh, you're on the air. Hey, Tom. How's it going? I'm doing great. We've got Brian Regan on the show today. How cool is that? Oh, what? Nice, nice. He's awesome. Yeah. You, uh, you have a question for him? Not, no, not really. Okay. Sorry, all right. I'll ask, one, I'll, I'll ask one for you. I, I want to say that I met you at a Sum 41 concert in the early 2000s. Nice. You champagne all over the crowd. You just appeared out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Spraying champagne. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love Sum 41. Those guys are amazing, man. Yeah, it yeah. was awesome. And yeah. I want to say that your new stand-up is, is hilarious. It's great. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, Sum 41, good Canadian band. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I was inspired. Uh, I, I found them awesome because, like, I, I was very much like them when I was, I guess I'm not, when I was young, when I was a teenager, I was in a rap group. And I, they reminded me a lot of the energy that we had in our rap group, Organized Rhyme. I just loved getting up on stage and rapping back then. So, yeah, that's cool, man. Where, and where did, oh, you say, awesome. where did you say you're calling from? Uh, New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay, good. Everything going good down there? How's the weather? Uh, it is nice. Uh, we just had a storm, but everything's fine now. That's pretty cool. That's what I'm trying to do to kind of like make this show a little different. I'm doing a phone-in show where people call up and I just ask them how the weather is. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just kind of awesome. talk. We just talk about the weather and stuff. You know. <laughs> I thought that would be kind of a, a unique kind of way of uh, yeah. grabbing an audience out there. 
Yeah. Definitely. Well, good. Well, thanks for calling, my friend. Uh, good to see you and good to hear from you. And I'll talk to you soon. I'm trying to get as many calls on the yeah. air before uh, Brian calls. Okay. Thanks, man. Awesome. I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Love you too. Peace. Bye. All right. This is cool. This is going well. You know, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. The phone is ringing off the hook. Uh, we are live uh, on the air uh, on the Tom Green interview. I've got the legendary Brian Regan calling. I wanted to say this has been really an exciting uh, month or so, and it's continuing. I'm going to be traveling across, around, uh, up and down the country, uh, whatever way you want to call it. I don't know if I'm going to hit every state this year, but I'm going to hit a lot of places. Uh, if you want to check out the video from the the travels that I'm on, you can go to youtube.com slash Tom Green. Uh, if you want to check out the uh, the photos that I'm taking, go to the Instagram. Uh, I'm going to start putting my videos on YouTube, my photos on Instagram, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, I've actually been really enjoying the photography. I've been shooting black and white film and getting it processed. I FedEx the film uh, to get processed, and then I... I get the uh, digital um, uh, scans of the film uh, sent back to me, and then I post them from the road, which is super cool. I'm shooting on a Leica M6 camera on 35-millimeter uh, film. And uh, wait, is it 35-millimeter film? I don't even know what it is. I think it is. On film, whatever it is. I don't know. I should know that. But anyways, um, it's fun. So listen. Uh, I hope you guys are good, and uh, we're going to take one more call, and then we're going to talk to Brian. Hello, you're on the air on the Tom Green interview. Oh, lost that one. Let's try another. Hello, you're on the air on the Tom Green interview. Hey, Tom. What's going on, buddy? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Toronto, Ontario, but I'm from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Yes, absolutely. I know where that is. You know where that is, of course. Give me a quiz about Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I'll try to uh, see if you can stump me, because I I, I like to think I know everything about Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, because that's my Uh, hometown where I grew up. Well, let's start with an easy one. What's uh, What's the national treat that you get on the canal there when you're skating on it? A beaver tail, of course, yeah. You you know it's a beaver tail. Yeah, of course I do. Give me another one. Harder. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's try, let's try harder. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the building uh, that's like downtown across from the Rideau Center? Uh, it seems out of commission, but uh, uh, across from the Rideau Center and across from the Chateau Laurier. Oh, Union uh, train station, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the train station. That's that's the hard one. I, I, I'm not sure if I can think of a harder one. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Uh, th- those were pretty good. Those were pretty good. Well, listen. Yeah, they, I, they weren't, but thank you. Well, I was all right. You know, I put you on the spot. I mean, you didn't have any time to prepare, right? So yeah, that's yeah, pretty what, cool. What can you do? Well, good. Well, hey, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Um, I'm about to talk to Brian Regan, so I got to jump. I'm on a mountaintop in Utah right now, uh, just a few few thousand meters or feet, whatever you want to say, below the Porcupine Rim. Uh, You can look that up. It's in Moab, Utah. And uh, Charlie's on her leash, and you can hear her barking outside the van there every once in a while. She's, She's got a nice long lead, so she's walking. She's sniffing a a tree right now, some sort of a shrub. She seems curious about a shrub out there. 
And uh, I'm just keeping an eye on her through the window. And uh, the sound is great in the van. Everything's amazing. Uh, the studio's working. And I'm having a blast traveling around the country. So I appreciate you calling and listening. And I will talk to you next time. Okay, my friend. Thank you, Ottawa, Canada. Uh, sounds good, Tom. Thanks. All right. Peace. All right. This is cool. It's working. Everything's working. Super exciting. Um, I guess uh, I'm going to go ahead now and take a call from Brian Regan. So, hello, is this Brian? This is Brian Regan. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Thanks for calling my podcast. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, I guess the last time I saw you was in Israel, right? Y- yes, yes. That was fun. Well, that was really fun. That was my first time and only time of going to Israel. Have you performed there over the years many times, or was that your first time there also? Uh, one and done. Yeah. Um, not, not, not that I wouldn't go back, but I, I haven't. That was the first time, and that's the only time so far that I've been to Israel. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? Were you? Did you get to see some of the sites? Did you have some time to go travel around and go to the Western Wall and the different... different yes. Uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, it's an unusual part of our planet, for sure. Um, you know, seeing the, you know, people holding AK-47s is kind of a trip. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Go, wow, this, this place is real McCoy. Yeah. Um, but the audiences were fun and I had a good time. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, how's, how's everything? I'm sure this is a question that everybody asks, but how has everything been going with this pandemic for you in the stand-up comedy world? You are performing. You just did a comedy special, right? Uh, I did do a comedy special, uh, shot it a week and a half ago, and at an outdoor venue, everybody had masks on, so, um, but it was, it was, I was supposed to have shot it at this venue, um, I think in May, but, uh, so I was going to do an outdoor thing anyway, just for it to be different, but it worked out in my favor that it's the only kind of venue where you can shoot something like this right now. So, uh, it worked out great. It got punted to two weeks ago and, uh, it was fun. What's that like when the audience has masks? I mean, are they, is is the laughter muffled? (laughs) Well, I never hear laughs anyway. You know, I don't have the, I don't kind of have the kind of jokes that get laughs. I have the kind of jokes where like people scratch their head. Uh, I don't know about right? that. <laughs> they they kind of look at me quizzically. <laughs> um, no, I, I was worried about that, you know, but uh, I was able to hear the laughs just fine. You know, these were, uh, I don't know, laughter uh, available masks. <laughs> That's yeah. a horrible name for a product. Yeah, yeah, that could be the name of the special, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Laughter available masks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I got to laugh. I just woke if, up, man. If, if, I'm if, no sense. if you end up naming the special that, I want to credit. Okay, no, no, that's uh, that's cool. So you know, I I love I love the like 
talking about the process of writing, uh, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to talk to uh, Ray Romano in the first episode of this new uh, new podcast I'm doing. It's called the Tom Green Interview. It's a new podcast. Okay, we've only done a few episodes wow. now. Yeah, and well, I'm having I'm a lot of honored to be one of the first guests. Thank yeah, you. no, it's an honor to have you, Brian. I appreciate it. Um, but you know, we we talked a lot about just kind of like the process, the the the, the minutia of of just writing a joke and performing, and I really like breaking that down because because you know I I love the way in your comedy you really take you know really fun observations that are just you know I, I first of all I'm curious to know like what your process is when you observe something and you identify it as potential joke like if you're like the tater tots joke were you actually at a was that a basketball game is that what that is and, and some there was a were you at a game and you saw that competition you said that's a joke and you took a note to yourself and hashed it out later or how does it work well that was that was a true thing i wasn't at the game but it was on a sports highlights show yeah and uh you know they showed this guy making a half court shot you know, usually those half court shots are for, you know, when fans come down at a halftime, it's usually for, you know, $5,000 or $10,000 or yeah. something worthwhile yeah. to make you come out of the stands to go down and even give it a shot. Uh-huh. And they, they said that this guy won tater tots for life. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember thinking that that's, that's not a prize. That's a curse. That's a curse. <laughs> yeah, it, it could almost be a punishment, right? Like you know, if, if you, you, you exactly. know, you, exactly. you, you are convicted of this crime, and your punishment is tater tots for life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather life in prison or tater tots for life? Yeah, uh, but uh, I love the way you sort of find that premise, and then you just sort of keep building on it with more and more punchlines on top of it. I mean, is that, is, is that sort of, how does that process work? When you saw that on the, on, on the sporting, on the, on the, on the, on the TV, on the TV, uh, did you say, okay, that's a premise. I'm going to sit down and build that out. Or do you go talk with your friends and throw it around or, or how do you, how do you actually whittle it down into a really solid bit like that? Uh, I don't really do it with friends. I, I like to do it on stage because, uh, you know, one thing I don't want my friends feeling like they have to be a sounding board for (laughs) all the goofy things that I think of, you know? Yeah. But, um, plus it's not a fair test anyway. I mean, you know, you could say it to one person who doesn't think it's funny. Whereas if you said it to, you know, an audience full of people, maybe most people would think it's funny, but I also, I don't remember the first punchline of that particular thing, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do remember thinking that like, if it were me that I would miss on purpose, uh-huh. you know, just like stand on the half court and just throw the ball like two feet in front of you and go, ah, oh, darn, I missed. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather not deal with the hassle of having to answer questions about this for the rest of my life. I just, you know? I just love the fact that there is, yeah, multiple punchlines built 
you know, on top of each other on that premise. Like that, that's, you know, <laughs> you know, that's not a prize. That's a curse. And then, and then, and then I like when you get to the point where you say, you know, I, I, I forget exactly how you say it. I won't do it justice, but you say, you know, I, uh, I want to say, you know, uh, not, I don't, I, I'm saying it wrong, but not to toot my own torn horn here, but I have enough money to be able to <laughs> afford to eat tater tots for the rest of my life. You know, I don't for need the, the prize. rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, I've got financial advisors, you know, <laughs> we've been able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And I think I say, it turns out you need $85. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, have you eaten tater tots before or do you, is this something that you uh, have a problem with or is it just, uh, <laughs> did you ever well, hear? I'm hoping to- did you I'm, ever I'm hear hoping f- to eat them for the rest of my life. Yes, That's how yeah. important they are to me. Now, know? when you do a joke like that, do you ever hear from the Tater Tots Corporation? And do they have any sort of an issue with it? Or <laughs> I have heard from uh, the Pop-Tarts people. Oh, okay. Because um, <laughs> I have a Pop-Tarts joke. Uh, they came and brought me a bunch of stuff. I forget where I was working, Kalamazoo or wherever wherever their factory is. Uh-huh. And I think they had a marketing person come out and bring me a bunch of Pop-Tart stuff. I think it was almost like they're trying to keep me on their good side. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> look at all these. Yeah. You want your, your Pop-Tarts jokes to be friendly Pop-Tart jokes, you know? Yeah. Um, UPS, I have a UPS uh, joke, and they sent me, like, this canister, UPS canister. Um, when I get these things, I start thinking – I got to start writing jokes about Lamborghinis. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. What's still, with me? It's still cool, though, that you end up after all is said and done with Pop-Tarts for life, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, very fortunate. Yeah, very cool. Now, like, do you remember when you wrote your first joke? Well, when I was a kid, uh, there's a photo of me as a little kid. One of the first gifts I remember getting from my mom and dad was a tape recorder, a big clunky tape recorder. And there's a, they took a picture of me sitting at with this tape recorder. I had big, thick glasses. I had buck teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I looked like Ernie Douglas from my three sons, you know, the, the goofy little kid. Yeah. And, um, I just remember the, I used to love playing with the tape recorder. I used to do fake interviews. Like I would be the interviewer and the interviewee. Wow. I would just make up an interview and like I'd go, we're sitting here with Coach Wilson from, uh, you know, the Bearcats. Uh, how you doing, Coach? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you think the Bearcats are going to do this year? Well, we don't have any talent, so we're probably not going to win any games. You know, like I would just make up a whole interview for like 15 minutes. And then my family used to sit around and listen to these things and howl at the the goofy stuff my brain came up with. And I remember being fascinated with, uh, you know, this idea that I could just make things up in my head and people would laugh at it. You know, it just it was a world changer for me, you know. So when you when you heard your parents laughing, you're a kid, did that kind of obviously must have been a, a, a sense of. Of, of, of pride you felt you felt you felt you wanted to chase that that dragon absolutely my dad my both my parents are funny um my dad has a very dry sense of humor he loved irony he loved when uh 
you know, you get one over on the man kind of joke, you know, uh-huh. uh, kind of jokes. My mom was more on the silly side of the track. She was very smart. You know, she had a master's in English, but uh, she loved like Andy Kaufman and stuff like that. So it was weird. I had a, a mixture of the two worlds in terms of audience audiences, you know, with my parents. But one of the first times I remember making my dad laugh was inadvertently. We were driving by a funeral procession and I asked my dad if, and I didn't mean it as a joke. I said, have you ever, Hey dad, have you ever seen a real live dead man? And, uh, <laughs> I just remember him pounding the steering wheel laughing going, I, I can honestly tell you, I've never seen a real live dead man, son. Uh-huh. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know how your brain works. And I remember like trying to figure out what, what just happened there. And then I was like, Oh, that makes no sense. That's a joke, you know? Right. Right. Um, so anyway, those beginning thoughts pushed me in this direction, I guess. I like your bit about your dad saying nonsensical things when getting pulled over by the police. And it, it reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of my dad because my dad makes sort of silly jokes sometimes that maybe he's the only one that really gets. And uh, he's got certain ones that he's been making over and over, you know, for his, you know, my entire life, you know, like it just keeps right. making the same joke over and over again. There's something awesome about that growing up in a, in a world where humor and, and wordplay is kind of a thing. Yeah. My dad would do the same thing. And um, I don't know how many times we heard him say, you ever notice, how the roof on a Mercedes bends and you know, and you go, okay, dad, you've hit us with that joke 10,000 times. Uh-huh. Hey, you ever notice how the roof on a Mercedes bends? <laughs> All right, dad. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's part of what, I know that feeling of doing bad jokes on purpose. Like I love doing that with my kids because when I'm on stage, you know, the comedy has to rise to a certain level. So there's a joy off stage of, of doing horrifically bad jokes, you know? I mean, so that's the humor. That's the humor in itself is purposely doing a horrible humor. You know, yeah. and my dad would, would, would love doing that. Just say really, really bad puns. But you laughed at how bad it was. Right. I mean, sometimes it's just fun because it's annoying to everyone around you and just uh, your purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's well, that- I do. I, I, I do in the in that one special. My dad would do jokes and not care, like, if you got it, you know, and I always admired that. Like, I have that need. I need people around me to get that that was a joke. I feel uncomfortable if people don't get it. But my dad was fine with throwing something out there. And if one out of five laughed, I was good for him. And so I tell the story, and it was a true story of us walking into a restaurant. My dad was old and, it, you know, he, he could, couldn't walk very well. And, you know, he just was hobbling along. And I said, Dad, you need help? And he goes, no, no, I got it. I got it. You know, he had this pride. And the hostess from the restaurant came out and saw my dad hobbling along and said, do you need help, sir? And he said, I asked my own son for help. And he said, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and just joking, like, like, like 
for me to laugh, I guess. And but she doesn't get it, right? And she just looked at me like I was the most evil person in the world. Yeah, and, which is of course hilarious, know. right? <laughs> yeah, your dad, I offer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I offer, Dad. <clears throat> when you're uh, when you're touring and you're, you know, you're. Is there, what are your favorite aspects of that? I mean, just the travel and the, the, the seeing the world. I mean, it's, it's probably just done so many things you could say about it, but is, is that, does that get grueling always being on the road or do you, do you love being in different places all the time? My favorite part of traveling is when um, I'm boarding and someone steps in front of me who clearly uh, isn't supposed to be stepping in front of me. And then I get that, internal turmoil in my in my gut and soul wondering if I should speak up and say anything or do I squelch it uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm I have such internal anxiety about certain like lines and that sort of thing traveling I don't want to complain I like I have a good career I love what I do and that sort of thing but um uh, the the traveling part of it gets a, a, a gets a bit much sometimes. It's sort of uh, amazing when you've been to a city for the tenth time. You start to kind of they all kind of blend together in sort of a strange way. Yeah, yeah. I was in a hotel one time, and you know you forget where you are. You know, and I wake up and I'm like, I don't even know where I am. And I, <laughs> I called the front desk and I said, this is going to sound like a stupid question, but, uh, can you tell me where I am? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, the front desk guy said, uh, don't worry about it. It, This happens all the time. You're on Jefferson street. (laughs) Uh I'm like, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta pull the camera back on the, on the, on the zoom there. I I, I need to know what city I'm in. I need to know what state I'm in. Yeah. So. Do you ever get? You have, has that ever happened to you? Where you get home from a long tour and you wake up in your own bed and you, for a moment, forget that you're at home and then you look around and register and go, "Oh, great, I'm home today." Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, you wake up and it's, there's an instantaneous like, "All right, which way to the bathroom?" You know? Yeah. Is it to the left? Is it to the right? I'm sure you've talked about this a million times, but I'm going to ask anyways, because I'm curious. You, know, you were going to be in an accountant, uh, and then your, your school football coach heard you crack a joke and, and, uh, and uh, said you should try stand-up comedy. Is that, is that for real? Yeah, I was in college. I went to Heidelberg College in Tiffin, Ohio. I played football. Uh, when I went there, I just became an economics major to become an accountant. You know, I, when you're a senior in high school and a freshman in college, you don't ha- you don't know. Yeah. And I had taken a, I had taken an accounting class my senior year of high school and was I'm pretty good at math. My dad was an accountant, so I just thought I would go in that direction. But you know, after about three weeks of accounting classes in college, my eyes would glaze over. Like I, I just remember thinking. I can't imagine waking up every morning of my life yeah. and put, putting on a tie and going somewhere and adding up numbers at a desk. You know, so I was like all disillusioned and I went and talked to my head football coach, Coach Rankin. Yeah. And I said, hey, man, um, 
I need to talk to you. I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing here, man. I said, I love playing football, but the school part, I'm all confused. And he said, yeah, man, you make everybody laugh on the team. You're always cracking jokes and stuff. You might be interested in the communication and theater arts department. And that was like 180 degrees from anything I'd, I'd ever even thought about. You know, like I, I never even went to a play in high school or anything. Yeah. And so I switched gears and I went in that direction and uh, changed my life. That is amazing, really. Because uh, for me, like, you know, I, I sort of was kind of a crew you know, in the artsy program in high school. And I kind of, for whatever reason, thought that I wanted to, to try to pursue that early, but you were, you were in college when it's kind of this epiphany came. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and when I first uh, switched majors, I, I didn't right away, you know, think about being a comedian, <clears throat> but I started being uh, asked, to MC college activities. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like um, the, our dorm was going to have a roommate game, you know, like the dating game. Uh-huh. And uh, they asked if I would host it in the common area. And I was like, yeah, I'll do this, man. I had a sport coat that I had to <laughs> wear because my dad worked for Eastern. You couldn't fly unless you wore a sport coat. Anyway, <laughs> I put my sport coat on. Uh, your sport coat, yes. I had my sport coat on, <laughs> and um, I remember emceeing this roommate game and just getting big laughs with ad libs and all of this, and it just got in my bones, man. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I need this. I want this. And uh, so it set me on the comedy path. So then how's it go from there to, to, you know, you know, worldwide domination, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> you, you know, like <laughs> yeah. traveling the world and becoming one of the top most successful comedians in the world. How, how does that, how does that transition happen? Do you, you started obviously kitting the clubs and, uh, was there, was there a club you started at that was your, your, your sort of birthplace <clears throat> in comedy for, or do you just, well, the, uh, I left college. Uh, to pursue stand-up, and the there's a club in New York City called the Comic Strip. Sure. So I thought I was going to have. I knew there were comedy clubs in New York and L.A. This yep. is before comedy exploded around the country. So I thought, all right, I'm going to have to move to one of those two cities. So I was planning on moving to New York City. I go back down to Miami and I see an ad in the Miami Herald for the comic strip comedy club in Fort Lauderdale. Ah. A brand new club is opening and uh, it said open mic night on Mondays of all the advertisements in the world. This is the one that just reached like the newspaper just reached up and just grabbed my throat. You know, like I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I, I, I can I can get there with a tank of gas. Yeah. <laughs> I can pursue this dream. Uh-huh. And uh so I auditioned. I auditioned, you know, uh I think five times and then I finally passed auditions there. And then they would let me go on. The guy who ran the place, Joe Mullen, would let me go on seven nights a week if I wanted. So I did. I went on every single night. And they would put us on after the headliners. It was a terrible uh, atmosphere. 
you'd walk on stage to people leaving. Right. Getting up and leaving. <laughs> yeah. And they'd just seen somebody that was like really, really good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, the drop-off was so dramatic that the, um, the guy who ran it, like I said, Joe Mullen, he would, he said to the MC, listen, you need to draw a clear line in the sand. After they had three co-headliners, that's the way they did it. So uh-huh. after the third headliner, the MC would go on stage and say, all right, folks, that's it for our show. Meaning good stuff is over. <laughs> that's it for our show. We do have some local, <laughs> we do have some local comedians. Yeah. The, the, the full disclosure, they're not any good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right. it, was, it was unbelievable. Like the, the good fun stuff is over. Folks. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're making that 100% clear. Yeah. We do have some local comedians who are just getting started. And if you'd like to hang out and give them an audience, you're welcome to hang out. So that was the vibe. Yeah. And then you'd hit, you'd hit the stage and, um, and I developed this whole routine about people leaving. Like I would, mm-hmm. I had this whole thing that would, I got it to where it, it would crush. It was about how bad I was and uh, right. uh, how, how, like, uh, I had all these jokes about the place you know, emptying out and me clearing a room. And and then I got to where they promoted me to open. It's like, all right, we want you to open the show now. Uh-huh. You can do 10 minutes up front before the headliners. Like, wow, this is fantastic. And that first night I get on stage and I'm looking around like, Nobody's leaving. I don't have. Oh, yeah, I can't I don't. do my. I can't do my act. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I'm like, why are y'all sitting there? You're ruining my show. <laughs> is there a process that, or a, 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 I mean, there is a, a. Is there a must be sort of a natural evolution where you you start to kind of really learn how to write and learn all the little intricate tricks of how to hold an audience's attention. Do you, do you recall sort of when that, that sort of, that sort of process started to really evolve and what were some of the things you noticed about just kind of performing that maybe you could convey to our audience? I mean, lots of people listening are probably trying to do stand-up comedy. Well, that club where I started the comic strip, it, it was amazing for me, not just because I could go on stage I was able to watch other comedians. Like I was going to school every night. I got to watch comedians and how they did it and uh, how they did transitions and how they put things together. So I would just soak it all in, you know? Um, um, and it was an amazing learning experience. You know, I, I, I would watch three good comedians. I watched Jerry Seinfeld before he did his first Tonight Show. Wow. He, he, he performed. I was still auditioning at that point. Like, and um, he killed. And I remember thinking, um, this comedy world doesn't seem very fair because this guy is amazing. And I never even heard of him. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh, like, uh-huh. And then like two weeks later, he did his first Tonight Show. And it was so comforting to me, like, oh, okay. Yeah. He is being rewarded. He is good, and now he's on TV. 
You yeah. Know? So I thought, okay, this is a fair craft. <laughs> um, but just being able to watch people like that, you know, you start realizing that it's not just about, you know, being funny and having funny thoughts. There's a craft to it. Um, one, one thing that really blew my mind, I was performing there. Rodney Dangerfield was going to perform at the Sunrise Musical Theater, uh, you know, near the, our club yeah. and came in one night and asked, uh, you know, if he could do some time uh-huh. and it just felt so weird. Like you have to ask, <laughs> well, you know what, why don't we, we're, we're going to go in the back and do a round table and we'll let you know how <laughs> you to do some time, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so it was like, well, yeah, of course. So he goes on stage, you know, like on a Wednesday night, you know, um, in front of like 75 people that the 75 people go nuts. And he's like, uh, Hey, uh, yeah, I got some uh, new stuff I'd like to try out for you, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and everybody's like, yeah, great. He, he pulls out these little three by five cards and he puts these glasses on and he just kind of goes through them one at a time, you know, uh-huh. Re- reads an idea, you know, to get a laugh and you go, all right, maybe that's a keeper, you know, <laughs> and then do another one and then get nothing. And you go, uh, all right, that's where the trash can, uh, you know? So it was like just fascinating watching this. So he goes through that. He, he takes, he puts the cards back in, you know, after about 15 minutes and he goes, uh, thanks for the use of the hall. <laughs> I just love that show business. I had never heard that before. Yeah. Thanks for the use of the hall. Yeah, you know, yeah. It just felt so cool. Yeah. Like he's and up then, in uh, the cat skills or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he, uh, you know, he leaves, he comes back in the next night, asks if he can do some time. So of course, yeah, of course you can do time. He goes on stage the next night, no glasses, no three by five cards. He's doing the same jokes, but without the cards, the jokes that didn't work were out. The jokes that kind of worked were in, but tighter, you know, with uh, less words, more economy of words. Uh-huh. And I remember being fascinated at how much he had accomplished in 24 hours. I yeah. was like, Damn, man, like it blew my mind, the the work aspect of the comedy. You know, it's like everybody knows Rodney Dangerfield's funny, but I remember like just I was able to experience the work that he put into it and what he accomplished by working at it. And so that got it. That was like a big uh, learning thing for me to go. If you sit down and put some effort into this, man, you can do something with this comedy thing. So it's kind of cool to watch. Absolutely. I mean, you, you see those old Johnny Carson tonight show appearances with Rodney Dangerfield and he comes on and he's like just a machine gun, just like firing off jokes. And, and you can yeah. tell every word is completely intricately, you know, chosen, which is what, which is what I feel when I watch your comedy too. You can tell you've really crafted every word, every pause, every inflection in your voice, you know, do you, do you, do you sit down at a ever and type this stuff up or do you just keep hammering it on stage and find those rhythms or, or how, how do you actually whittle it down? 
it's it's a little of both. It, it's usually I just do it. I tape every show. You know, I put my little iPhone uh, recording thing on the stool, <clears throat> and usually, like, just from night to night, you know, I'm trying to tweak and tweak and tweak. Um, and sometimes you just feel it, you know, when you're on stage, like I, I, I've always felt that writing is good. You know I mean? Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to belittle writing, uh-huh. but I always found, at least for me, like if I write stuff out or type stuff out, you make the mistake of thinking clever equals funny. You know what I mean? Like clever is clever, but sometimes it's not getting it done in terms of laughs. And so sometimes you could put too much words. Clever sometimes means too many words, Yeah, you know, and when you're on stage, what you wanted, that, that clever thing you're trying to say, something in your brain just goes, bam, say it like this, you know, take those three words out, take that those two words out, just say, get right at it, you know? Uh, and uh, then you feel like a, a better, tighter laugh. And then you go, okay, that's, that's the direction this joke needs to take, you know? So, um, but there are times too, when I can't quite get there, like I'm not quite sure where the laugh is. And I will sit down and, you know, get a thesaurus out and try to find more peculiar words to convey a thought, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's such an exciting time for comedy now. I mean, not now now with the pandemic, of course, but just in the last few years with social media and 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 so many people doing it. Do you, do you think more people are doing stand up now? Probably. You know, I mean, like um, it's a lot easier to participate in entertainment. You know, I mean. All I got to do is <laughs> aim your phone at your face and start talking. To things and, <laughs> I'm on TV. Here's, <laughs> I just did my first Tonight Show appearance in my bathroom. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really crazy how uh, accessible uh, getting content to the people is. How how, how easy that is. Um, in fact, I remember being backstage, and this family came backstage to say uh, say hi. And, um, it was a grandmother and she was very sweet and she was talking about her grandson. And she said, my grandson wrote an article that is going to be on the internet. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) On this, it's on this network called Facebook. Uh, He is on his way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it must be something, is there something that, 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 uh, we should be, I mean, should we be mourning the loss of, uh, of sort of fewer outlets for people? I mean, there was something very special about, about having to work your way to that first television appearance and, and the nerves of just performing on TV and having people see you on TV. But, but then there's also something really nice about everybody having the opportunity to get their voice out there. So I agree. It's, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to both sides of that. And I've always tried to resist 
you know, becoming an old fuddy duddy. Uh-huh. That, uh, I don't uh-huh. like the way the young kids are doing uh-huh. it. You know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I remember watching a comedian on the Johnny Carson show complaining about young comedians. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, I refuse to ever be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he was complaining. And I'm like, I'm one of these young comedians that he's uh-huh. moaning about. You know? uh-huh. Um he goes, you know, they, they, they got six minutes. That's all they got. You know, I'm like, right, <laughs> calm down, you know, um, but, but there was, so, there was not, I, sorry, I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say there was nothing like Johnny Carson though, really. And there's still nothing like that. Is there? Well, to, to, I don't know, romanticize about the way it used to be. There was something amazing about everybody having that common goal of getting on the tonight show with Johnny Carson, you know, it meant you were vetted, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you didn't get on there by accident, you know? So that was sort of like being knighted, you know, it's like, okay, you, you, you gotta be pretty good to be doing this. Yeah. And, um, and now, you know, there are many comedians that can, get their stuff out there. But I also agree that that's good as well, because it's probably giving people who may have not been able to be vetted in the normal way, an opportunity to find an audience. You know, some people aren't supposed to have a wide following. Some people are supposed to be more niche or niche, whatever that word is Mm -hmm. oriented, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I think if somebody, if somebody can make 50 people laugh, and only those 50 people, but those 50 people think that guy is funny as hell, then there's value to that guy. You know, um, I, I, you know, I, I've always said if, if, if one person in the world thinks something is funny, then it is funny. Right. <laughs> I don't care if 99% don't think it's funny. It's funny. It's funny to that brain yeah. or maybe two brains, you know? Yeah. You've, you've stayed with, with all the political comedy today you know if you decide to go that route you don't really go that route but when you go that route you're sort of making the decision okay half the people think it's funny half the people don't think it's funny because of the nature of you know what i'm talking about you 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 made a you've did you make a conscious choice at some point to kind of stay away from politics and keep things sort of universally funny for everyone Sort of. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of naturally how I think anyway. You know I mean? I, I, I don't like to do that divisive kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that kind of comedy should be done. You know, it's like, I, I believe in freedom of speech and if somebody has a pointed point of view and wants to go for it, then I support that completely. You know, my comedy tends to, uh, just be more about everyday things that both sides can laugh at that, you know, I, I kind of throw a wide net out there, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, lately though, I've been touching on some things that might surprise people. Like yeah. I, I, have, I, have, I have a thing about guns and, um, <laughs> but, I, but I try to do jokes that both sides can laugh at. Yeah. You know? I um, love the I way you, ha- I love the way you handled it. And, 
I don't know if it was your most recent special, but but one of the Netflix specials where you say, you know, yeah, you go to a party and, you know, you don't want to talk about politics and like oh, the Hatfields and the McCoys just I, I can't do the bit. But that was a great bit because it really kind of made it funny for everybody. Thank you. Well, yeah. I got some pushback from that. Yeah. Just like, ta- just talking say, about how you don't you want to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just by saying just by saying that you would rather not talk about it. People get angry about that. Yeah, you know, you're you're part of the problem. You got to talk about it. I'm uh, like, uh-huh. part of freedom of speech was deciding what you can and can't say. I yeah, that was part of freedom of speech, but. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, you can please some of the people some of the time, right? But not, or whatever that saying is, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's amazing. So what's what's now, what's going to happen? Like this this, this pandemic's raging. Is stand-up's going to come back soon, we hope, right? Like next year, maybe, you think? Uh, is this going to be, are we going to be back to normal in a year? And, and what are your plans for the next... Uh, year are you hitting the road now are you uh, able to do shows what's 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 what what's going on brian <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing shows i'm yeah. not doing theaters yeah. theaters aren't uh happening yeah unless they're like an outdoor kind of thing has to be under but, a certain um, under a certain number of people in the room type of thing or how's that work yeah i i'm, I'm going to be doing some indoor theaters with, you know, social distancing and how they're going to accomplish that. I don't know, but I've been doing comedy clubs for like the last two months. Cause I needed to prep for the net, the second Netflix special that I just shot. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing comedy clubs with about half capacity of what they normally have. And, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting because I hadn't really done the comedy club world for like 15 years. And yeah. uh, when was the last time you played I, a half full comedy club? Like, you know, never. <laughs> <laughs> when I, when I was first starting and yeah. people were walking out, uh-huh, so I was exactly. able to get back to my, my it, first routine. Do that old routine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that must be interesting though. I mean, I, I it must, it, do you find that you're able to kind of experiment a little bit more in that environment and maybe get a little bit more creative? Cause you know, there's it's a half full comedy club. You can just fuck around a bit. Well, up until this, this, this week is the first week that I wasn't prepping for that special. So I couldn't really play around cause I was kept trying to, the last two months was me trying to fine tune and pick words and pick moments and pick beats and pick transitions for the special. As much as I love doing that, I love being done with it. Mm-hmm. So like the last three nights I was in Columbus tonight and the next couple of nights I'm in Cincinnati. And now it, I feel like I'm running on virgin snow, you know, making brand new footprints. And, uh, I love that. I, as much as I love creating an hour, I love tossing it and yeah. starting, starting fresh, you know, um, it, you can't do it on a dime. I mean, I still have to rely on some of the older stuff cause I don't have a new hour yet, but I, I love dropping bits and here's a new thing and then drop another bit. Here's a new thing. You know, I, I, I love that feeling of not knowing where the laughs are. That's amazing. Well, Brian, Hey, I, I just want to say thank you for calling and doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's super cool. And, uh, it's been great You're talking welcome. to you. I really, really love this conversation. It's just so fun for me to be able to talk to, 
comedians and uh, of your stature and just listen to the the way you do things because uh you know then i can uh you know try it out myself someday you know <laughs> you're very kind yeah. tom yeah. i appreciate uh you having me on and talking to me yeah it was no. really cool yeah no it's it's awesome thank thanks so much uh brian i appreciate it and what are you up to today where are you off to what's the plan i'm in cincinnati i have a three-night run at the Funny Bone Comedy Club here in Cincinnati. Nice. Um, I don't know if this podcast will come out after I'm doing it. I'm plugging dates in the past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a time machine, yeah, come check me out. Well, you know, let's just, everyone listening just know Brian's on on the road and he's kicking ass and taking names and you're, you're on social media and everything, so people can find you, of course, and and figure yeah. out uh, figure out where you're going to be next. Groovy. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate right. it. Have a have a great one. Have hey, a have a great show tonight. Thanks for everything, Tom. Really right. appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Well, that was just awesome. Thank you, Brian Regan. I appreciate uh, I appreciate it. It's it's awesome when you have people in the comedy industry of that stature, of that level of accomplishment, calling in to my little show. I just I just I am humbled and uh, grateful for. Uh, for it every time I get to talk to somebody like Brian Regan. And how cool is that to be able to hear how his mind works, the specifics of how he puts his comedy together. I I really hope that people out there who are trying to do comedy or even trying to do anything uh, can take away from this show that that there is, uh, I don't know, I I guess there's something to take away from this show, right? Right? That you can really see that when you uh, put your mind to something, when you really dedicate your life to something, that ultimately uh, you will succeed. And uh, that's what I find so amazing about getting to do this show. The Tom Green interview is I get to pick the brains of people who have uh, reached the levels uh, that Brian Regan has, has, has reached, the top of their game. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening to this show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being here. Uh, Please subscribe wherever you're listening. Hit subscribe. Listen every week. Post this episode on your social media. Go on your Facebook page, your Twitter, your Instagram, wherever, and post it. Your TikTok and tell people, hey, listen to the Tom Green interview. Uh, I, I can, I can, I can use the help. I appreciate the help. I consider you guys my friends. I'm traveling around the country in a van. I've put a lot of effort into building this studio in this van. I can't believe it's working. I'm sitting here in Utah talking to Brian Regan and taking calls, and it's just amazing. So let people know about this crazy little thing I'm doing and uh, and support uh, other shows on Audio Up as well. Audio Up is, uh, is uh, getting behind me and helping make this show possible. So thank you, Audio Up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, most of all, Brian Regan today. Thank you. Uh, That was amazing. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank 
The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.